0: Bonnie knows when you plant something, it keeps on giving.
1: Growing from friend to neighbor to community. Generations of gardeners have trusted Bonnie for fresh, healthy vegetable and herb plants. Rely on Bonnie for quality plants, help,
0: and support. Bonnie, gardening with you since 1918. BonniePlants.com When you bite into this gordita, what should you feel like? What what's it gonna do for you? Is the sort of the tomatillo salsa going to just like make you feel so exhilarated? Is the meatiness of that crispy corn masa going to make you feel like somebody just gave you a big hug? What's it gonna make you feel like?
1: Heritage Radio Network proudly presents evolutionaries. Rick Bayless. Who is Rick Bayless? Rick Bayless is one of the most important advocates for authentic Mexican cuisine in the world. His PBS TV series, Mexico, One Plate at a Time, has informed millions of Americans and is currently broadcasting its eighth season. His book, Authentic Mexican, Regional Cooking from the Heart of Mexico, was described by Craig Claiborne as the greatest contribution to the Mexican table imaginable. He was a winner on Top Chef Masters Season 1, has received numerous awards for his cookbooks and restaurants, and was named Humanitarian of the Year by the James Beard Foundation. Rick was born in Oklahoma into a family of restaurateurs and grocers specializing in the local barbecue. He was into theater and French cooking as a child. Little did he know, Mexico would change his life.
0: I've always been a person with a lot of varied interests. And you can sort of see it, not only did I do restaurants, but then we did the packaged food line with the salsas and cooking sauces and all that sort of thing. I was badgered by the city of Chicago to uh, open a place in the airport, and I said, no, 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 no. And they finally said, what would it take? And I said, well, it would take the fact that we could get local ingredients to cook out there and that they would, they, they all serve my food, really my food, nothing watered down. And... They said, okay, we'll do it. And, of course, um, when we started the project, they were really going to go until we got in the middle of it. And they go, really? You're really going to do all this stuff? And I said, yes, but we opened this place in the airport and it is like rip-roaring success. Um, and because it's it's honest food made with local ingredients in an airport, and now we've got a couple of those. We're going to have a third one of those. But I, I want to... I, Everything that I've ever done, whether it's the TV shows or writing books or the package line or whatever, I always wanted it to be a vehicle for me to express my passion to the widest audience that I possibly could without sort of dumbing it all down. I just wanted to do stuff that would reflect my passion for Mexico and for the flavors that are there. Because Mexico has so much to teach us, not just in in flavor and, and culinary tradition and stuff, but they also have so much to teach us about how to have a party. <laughs> the celebrations can be private, they can be big and public, but people realize in that culture how important it is to get people together to celebrate. And people that work in our restaurant are sort of shocked all the time uh, as to how many celebrations we have internally in our our restaurant, because this is supposed to be a place to work, you're not supposed to celebrate. And I think my grandmother was really hospitable and, and loved to invite people over. But it was an American version of that. And then when I got to Mexico, I really understood what it was like to, to, to warmly welcome everybody and to say, let's stop and just celebrate whatever it is, life, uh, uh, a holiday, whatever. But it's really celebrating people and being together.
1: Rick discovered in his travels that American-Mexican food is way different than the cuisine of Mexico. This huge gap in authenticity drove Rick to dig deeper and find a way to translate the flavors and traditions of Mexican cuisine to the States.
0: I think in a funny way, Mexican food has always been kind of cheap cuisine in the U.S. It's certainly not that way in Mexico. Mexican food was the sort of down-and-dirty Tex-Mex food when I was growing up. And it was the what I always call the plate of all one color, one texture with melted cheese over the top of it. And we loved it, and I ate it um, at least once a week growing up. It was not until the sort of mid-60s when chain restaurants sort of bloomed in the US and we started getting all these fast food Mexican places that Mexican food started defining itself in a very different way. Still it was cheap food but now it had um, uh, it was more the crispy shell tacos the U-shaped tacos and lots of uh, shredded iceberg lettuce and some shredded cheese and that sort of thing. It was kind of different than the food that I grew up with But it became then the standard bearer for what people in the U.S. thought of Mexican food. Of course, it was always super cheap. And because it came out of that whole era of fast food chains, it had a processed feel to it. And I had lived in Mexico and was just so in love with the complexity of the cuisine to this day. I still think it's one of the most complex cuisines in the world. And like most uh, developing country cuisines, it requires tremendous amount of effort to do because there's always a lot of labor in those countries that's available to do it and to get it right. And when you explore that side of Mexican food, It seems like you're talking about something that's so completely different than the fast food uh, Mexican.
1: Finally ready to bring his life's work to the plate, Rick opened the Frontera Grill in Chicago, Illinois in 1987, specializing in contemporary regional Mexican cuisine. He would go on to open many other restaurants in Chicago and help shape the way we see high end ethnic cuisine. Rick explains what made Frontera stand out from its peers. That's one of the reasons that I settled in Chicago was
0: because we, had, we just didn't have very many of the Mexican-American places. We certainly didn't have very many chain restaurants um, in Chicago. Because there, weren't, there wasn't that tradition of Mexican-American food, most of our Mexican places were kind of simple, ma and pa regional restaurants. They wanted ingredients to cook with that were the ingredients from the homeland, I settled in Chicago partly because my wife's family is all there, and it was uh, we wanted to settle where we had some family support, but also in a place that had this incredible, vibrant Mexican population that we could get all the good ingredients that we wanted to cook with. Now, one of the ingredients that I always would use is my touchstone as to whether or not there was a good availability was fresh epazote. So epazote is a lot of people think it's used all over Mexico. It's not, it's only used in the Southern part of Mexico and out in the Yucatan. And I wanted to be able to have it because that's where, that's where my heart is culinarily um, in the Southern part of Mexico. And I always wanted to have the availability of epazote and I could just find it in every little corner grocery store in, Chicago, Mexican grocery store, and that made me feel really at, at home. And because it's a perishable product, it's something you know, if people have done that much care to get it in, that you've got a really vibrant population there. And so, from that base in Chicago, we started sort of an upscale, high profile restaurant to bring the stuff out of the neighborhoods, if you will, and say to the population in large. This is the real food of Mexico, and we're going to show you it in all of its regional varieties made with skill, care, and the right kind of ingredients that will show it to be the very best. And when I first opened Frontera, I thought that we were going to need to bring in a lot of ingredients from Mexico. That was it was certainly the rage when we opened Frontera in 87. And in fact, uh, you know, we opened the same exact year as Charlie Trotter's. And he became, he sort of exploded on the scene as being this iconoclastic chef that was going to sort of redefine fine dining. And one of the things that he said um, during those opening years for him was that he would never buy anything local, that he was going to the ends of the earth to find the absolute best ingredients for his guests in the restaurant. Well, I had learned this thing in Mexico that was completely the opposite of that, and that is that the best Cuisines in Mexico, the best regional cuisines, would always come from the areas that had the best local agriculture, so it was the cuisine came out of the agriculture and I think you can look anywhere in the world and find that that 's the case. Then, when I came back to the states i didn 't know how to justify what I was doing. was I going to bring stuff in from mexico wasn 't that going to be faky then? but we had no local agriculture to speak of. There was not one farmer 's market when we opened in eighty seven in Chicago. I couldn't justify bringing anything except dried things in from Mexico. So, of course, the dried chilies I would bring in, um, although now we even actually make some of our own dried chilies. And and then I started looking for these farms, uh, and they were hard to find at the beginning, but it was the relationship that we developed over the years with different local farms that really has defined the foo- food that we do in our restaurant, and I had to say that, you know, no matter what I tried to do, I was never going to be able to completely recreate the flavor of a dish made in Mexico. And to me, I shouldn't even try. That goes down to that sort of basic understanding that I have of translation, that you don't translate word for word because it doesn't make sense. What you translate is sort of sense for sense, the idea of a dish, the impact, the emotional impact of a dish. That's what you're trying to achieve. And you can create that with a strong sense of where you're cooking. And that's what I decided about 10 years into our Frontera project that I was really going to focus on. That I wanted to make food that was completely inspired by the... the the spirit of the mexican kitchen meaning that i had done all my research i had learned to make the dishes in the place that they are most well known but when i came back to the u.s came back to chicago to our restaurants i was going to express that knowledge that i had with our local ingredients so that just by that fact the flavor of the food was going to be different It's very interesting, the climate for restaurants when we opened Frontera 25 years ago is so completely different than today. Um, I went to a school that did a training program for Mexican immigrants that taught them a little English. Basic culinary skills it was a six-month program, um, and basically they they turned out sandwich makers is what they turned out people that could work in cafeterias and that sort of thing and had enough English that they could. Communicate. Well, I didn't care about the English part of it, but I thought it's an interesting program and I'll go there. And so I hired my entire staff from that because there weren't the culinary schools that we have today. I mean, now I can say to, that I want everybody on my staff to have been through culinary school and I can get it if I want. You know, I mean, it's not 100% of our staff that has been to culinary school, but it's certainly a, a large portion of it. This really wasn't culinary school that I was hiring from. It was just basically job training for basic skills. But it gave me um, a group of people that I could talk to because they understood what I, the, the ingredients and the preparations. And I would always call on, ah, how's your mother or aunt make this dish or whatever. And so there was a constant dialogue going on about the food. They couldn't believe. The kinds of dishes that I was trying to put on the menu, because they said, oh no, the, the, you don't make those in the U.S. You know, those are only the stuff that we do in Mexico. And I said, that's what I'm trying to do here. And um, that was my original staff was just just me and all these these people that came out of that one program, um, there are so many restaurants that opened around Chicago, a number of them opened by people that had worked with us for a long time, and almost all of them, the successful ones, have all been by our Mexican staff and some of our original Mexican staff going on because we gave them the courage to say, you know what, you can go out and do this thing. You don't have to make uh, the the quote Mexican food, the kind of Mexican-American food that most Americans are used to. You can actually make the food of your homeland, and you can do it at that mid-level. It doesn't have to be just cheap food. You can use good ingredients, and these young chefs have gone on to do some really good stuff.
1: So when did Rick fall in love with food? As a child, one of his life-defining moments was cooking his way through Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking. I fell in love with Julia. And I
0: was not into sports at all. And my brother was. He would play football and, and baseball and golf and basketball. And he always got all the equipment that he needed from my parents to do all this stuff because I, I grew up in Oklahoma, which is all about sports. So one time I said, you know what? I don't ever get any of this stuff. I want Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And I think I was 11 when I said that. And so I, I it was a very expensive book, and my parents didn't understand and spending any money on books. They were not the book type. So I got it. I, they, they bought it for me. And I literally read every word in it, and I cooked almost every recipe in it. And those are really hard recipes, especially for, you know, 11 or 12-year-old. But uh, that was really where I got my foundation, and Julia opened up a door for me that I was really grateful to have opened.
1: Julia's work on television left a lasting impression on Rick. Who ended up becoming a food celebrity himself? So I started uh, my
0: first foray into television when it was just Julia, basically, on on television doing cooking. At that point, there were a couple of other shows, but but um, not very many of them, and. I did my first foray back in the late 70s into public television, and I just happened to have the opportunity to do a series of 26 shows. It was all studio stuff, and there was not this sort of sense of celebrity chef or anything of that um, ilk uh, in our country really at the time. So I got a, a little sense of what it was like to be on television, to be recognized and all that sort of stuff. But then, I, you know, it's only been in the last 10 years or 15 years that we have seen this blossoming of what is really considered to be the celebrity chef world. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that through Food Network, we have made celebrities out of a bunch of people. Of course, the Bravo uh, shows Top Chef have done the same kinds of things and different shows that have uh, spun off from that um, and then I would say that it's probably the Beard Foundation that really set the stage for chefs kind of coming onto the, the forefront and being treated much more like celebrities and so all of these things kind of coming together at one, one moment has offered us as chefs the opportunity to be in the public eye and there's clearly good and bad with all of
1: that. One of the more controversial moments in Rick's career came when he signed on to do TV commercials for Burger King in 2003 as part of their move towards, quote, honest, seasonal, natural flavors. It may have not turned out the way Rick thought it would, but it did leave him with a very positive opportunity.
0: I am not at all opposed to working with producers that are working on a large scale, even if it's one of the chains that we think of as being very processed food oriented, if they want to come back from that and do something that's fresher and better, then I'm going to support it. Because I think that none of us can do everything that we want. We're always compromising in our lives. And if we're taking steps in the right direction, that's the good thing. And that's the thing that should always be commended. So they asked me, would I be interested in working with them on this? So I went to their place, went through the way they were making things, what they were going to be offering and all that sort of stuff. And I said, you know, I I can say yes to it. I want to support a big fast food chain taking steps what I thought were in the right direction. What I didn't understand in my naivete was that those fast food places change constantly. And if the thing doesn't give them what they're looking for in terms of sales, they'll drop it in an instant, which is what they did with that program. Literally, it was out in three months. And they had a new CEO, and Burger King had a new CEO about every three or four months, it seemed, for about a year and a half there. They were just in real chaos. And every one of the new CEOs would have a new plan of how they were going to save the company. So it it hurt me in some ways. I just I mean my pride and stuff like that, that um, it didn't pan out in the way that I had hoped it was going to pan out. And that company was less than forthright in what they were looking for in the way they described it to me. But all the money that I made on it was the seed money that we used to start our not-for-profit, the Frontera Farmer Foundation. And we had been, for many years, doing this no-interest loan program to our local uh, farmers to help them to get the capital improvements that they needed to become more successful, more profitable, and make more food that we could use in our restaurants and, and see in the farmers' markets. And we decided, as we had already decided, to change that no-interest loan program into a grant-giving thing, and we were going to raise the money to do that, and we started a not-for-profit organization. And, you know, it's like over the last decade, we've given away over a million dollars in grants to small family farms, and it has really changed the the face of local agriculture in our area. There's just so many more farmers markets, so many more chefs working with local product, and nowadays it seems like you can't go into even a neighborhood restaurant that won't have a farm name on, on the menu. And to me, that's because we were able to really pump a lot of money into the local farm families to help keep them on the farm and make them more profitable.
1: Rick Bayless has accomplished more than most can hope to in a lifetime. His TV show inspires millions. His restaurants are standard bearers for high-end Mexican-influenced cuisine. His voice has resonated with the world. And all the while, he has managed to stay true to Mexico.
0: There... It's very much a part of what people do to create a moment. And Mexico is so into ephemeral art and of course that's what food is to me the the most wonderful ephemeral art. You can't appreciate it until you eat it. And when you eat it, it's gone. And so they have a lot of things like that whether they're the sand paintings or the flower paintings that go on the ground or uh, this beautiful tradition in Oaxaca of making these beeswax candles. The only thing about those candles is that you can never put them to the side and say, oh, this this beautifully crafted candle, I'm going to leave because it's too pretty to burn. If you don't burn it, then as they would say, it's like really bad luck. <laughs> you have to consume it just the way you have to consume that mole that somebody's made for one of the festivals and I love that and I love I, I love the fact that I I have the opportunity in my life to share that passion with so many people and to offer them the opportunity to cook food from our books for their own personal celebrations or come into our restaurants or I can take them to Mexico to the celebrations through the TV shows um, I've just I've wanted to share my, my passion for what Mexico has offered me um, to all the people in, in the broadest way that I possibly can and I guess that's why I've tackled so many different projects through the years because it gives me that opportunity and I don't it's, I, I just can't imagine a, a more wonderful place to be than in a profession that our goal is just to make people happy
1: this program was produced by Aaron Fairbanks and Jack Insley, with research and additional production from Leah Eden. The recording was engineered by Joe Galarraga and edited by Jack Insley for HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Music courtesy of Renee Lopez, Iggy Dean, Tom Cruise, and Alan Wilkis.